Good morning, Woodland Hills. Got that mask off just in time. All right. Good to see you all this morning. Hope things are going well. Hope you enjoyed that time of worship that we had together. Congregation, congregation, uh, just blessed to be a part of this. So uh, as was mentioned, as Paige mentioned, we're starting a, a new series here. We've actually been in the Sermon on the Mount for a year, and I think it's a year and four months. And we're, we got through the, the, the first chapter of it. Hallelujah. We got through chapter five. We're starting chapter six this morning. Give us a hand. All right. We're racing through this thing. Let me just read Matthew chapter six. I'll read just the first verse. I'm not actually going to preach out of the text, but I just want to kind of give a, a, a caption heading here. He says, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So just lock this down that uh, for the next 18 verses, Jesus is going to be talking about spiritual disciplines. And these are just disciplines that are are there to uh, form our character in the direction of Christ-likeness, to get us us compatible, our character compatible with God. And there's a reward involved in this, a payback. If you do your piety, your spiritual practices to be seen by people, well, then you, that's your reward right there. Look how holy I am. But there's a different kind of reward that happens when we do our spiritual practices uh, for, for, for genuine, authentic reasons, for the purposes of becoming uh, compatible with uh, the character of, of, of Christ. And so in the, the, the next 18 verses, Jesus is going to highlight three different spiritual practices, the practices of giving, of fasting, and of prayer. And, and we're going to use that as a springboard to talk about a number of spiritual practices that should be involved in our life uh, on a regular basis. Uh, what I want to do this morning, however, is just kind of lay the foundation for the whole series by casting a vision of the kingdom uh, and a vision of the future in which it makes sense to practice spiritual disciplines. I'm going to share a story, as it were, uh, in which it makes sense to uh, be involved in uh, these, uh, these spiritual practices and this is one of those delightful sermons, I love it, uh, where um, I will illustrate the first point, which is really my only point, by talking about a failure in my life. It's one of the joys of leadership is you get to share your failures with everybody. Now, I, I, before I share this, I want to tell you that I'm doing well. I, I think overall, spiritually, I'm doing really well. I feel uh, good about my relation with God. I feel connected, uh, hitting on all pistons there. I've never enjoyed uh, being part of church more than I am uh, right now. I, I'm just loving uh, church. I feel like the church is hitting on all pistons. Um, I, I'm, I'm feeling like uh, just connected in that. I, I'm feeling pretty good about where I'm at in terms of my growth. I'm, uh, I, I feel like loving people and setting aside judgments is becoming more and more a part of my autopilot. I find myself doing that just instinctively without thinking about it. And that's the goal, right? Is to make, to make that our autopilot, our automatic. So I'm doing well in all that. But there's one area where I have to confess to you that I have backslid. People use that term anymore. Back in my old Christian days, they're like, oh, so-and-so backslid. You know, they started, you know, whatever. They don't hold the standards. Well, I backslid. And let me tell you how. I, I used to be really healthy <laughs> once upon a time, back in my day. I, uh, I was a fanatic for health. I, I used to, you know, run marathons and ultra marathons, these f- 50K races, which are 31 miles, and 50-mile races, uh, trail races. I used to love those, and 100-kilometer races, which is 62 miles. Or one time I even did a 100-mile race. I just loved being in that kind of shape. I, I love the feeling of being in such shape where you, you could just you feel like you're floating. Sometimes I go out running, and, and, and it's just, it just feels like you're floating on the ground. It's just, it, I just loved it. Sometimes I have a spiritual experience around that, you know, just kind of a, 
Now, maybe it was just endorphins, but I, I met God on some of those, those, those runs. Um, I, I, I love competing. I, I love pushing myself to the max and, and, and seeing how far up in the standings I could get in, in, in a race and, and, and see if I could get a PR, always running against myself. And, and I love, some of you will get this, others will think it's nuts, but I love like, like just trashing my body. Where you, you, you go and work out and you leave every, I mean, you're just spent. You're completely spent. And there's something about that I, just, I love doing that, just to see what you're made out of. Push it to the extreme. I, I, I'd love being in that kind of shape um, where I could do that. I, I used to take my pulse every morning, and my average during this time when I'm doing marathons and stuff, I would have a resting pulse rate of 38 in the morning. I was just like, boom. I, my family always had a strong heart. Uh, no, I don't know anyone who's died of a heart attack. Uh, and I was, I was pretty good at it. Uh, I wasn't great. The reason I wasn't great is because I've always said that God... He gave me a marathoner's heart, but he put it in a wrestler's body. And so I was always carrying around 30, 40 pounds more than, than the other little skinny guys out there. Uh, but, but I had a lot of endurance. And uh, I used to have a wrestler's body. Now I have a snowman's body. But it used to be a wrestler's body. <laughs> I, 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 I love being, you know, it's, it's these extreme sports things. I'm not one of these types that would take, put on a bat suit and dive off a cliff and go that windsurfing crazy stuff. But, but I love being pushed to the limit. Like there's a, one race, I'll share, share one little story here. Uh, it was a 100-kilometer world championship. Uh, it was the only time they held the world championship over here in the States, and they happened to hold it in Minnesota. And this is like 1993, or 94 maybe, somewhere around there. And so uh, it starts in Newfoundland and runs down to two harbors, and we're running right into this 30-mile-an-hour wind the whole way, which is really to my advantage because I weighed more than other people, and so it it, it didn't take me out as much as it took out the skinny guys. Uh, So I did better in this race than you would have normally thought. But uh, in this race, around mile 30, mile 40, I ended up running against this, uh, this Australian guy, this Aussie. And, and, and we're going back and forth, and we're, we're, we're fighting for 25th place, okay? Want to make the top 25 in the, the world championship, and uh, going back and forth. But I started to lose a guy around, you know, early 42, 43 miles because my toe was throbbing terrible. I mean, it was just like a—I a, a, I, I couldn't even put my full weight on it. And so I had to start to favor it, which then started to cramp up my other leg. So I'm kind of in bad shape here. This is a 100K race, and I, I have to complete 62 miles. So I got 20 more miles to go. Not good to have a toe that's throbbing like this. And then on top of that, I started getting nauseous. I was drinking too much carbonated water or Pepsi or something. I don't know, but I was feeling nauseous. And so I was losing the guy, and I thought, this is going to be a miserable race. But then something happened right around mile 48, 49. Uh, it was just before the 50-mile mark. The first thing that happened was I threw up. Hallelujah. I just upchucked all that carbonated drink all over. It's just a projectile. It was wonderful. And it felt so good. It was like, oh. And then shortly after that, the throbbing in my toe ended. It just stopped. And I felt this warm liquid in my foot. And I looked down, and my tennis shoe was completely red. Because what had happened was the pressure under my toenail had gotten so bad from all the pounding that was taken, it just exploded. And it, it was such a relief. And so I, now I'm full of vomit and full of blood, and I'm feeling great. So I'm going after that Australian guy. And see, this is what I love about this sport. It's like... <laughs> Who else here has ever had an exploding toe and has vomited on themselves and it was good news? It, it, I love the extremity. It was like, come on, bring it on. You know, yeah, exploding toe. You got to love that kind of stuff. I love the extremity of it. And, and of course, you had to train a lot to be able to run that far. And so I didn't train as much as other people. I had too many things going on. But a, a couple times a week, I'd get up in the morning, run five to 10 miles. 
Uh, but then on the weekends, uh, on Saturdays, we'd go down to Afton State Park, uh, me and six, seven, eight other guys, and we'd run for six, seven hours, uh, cover 30, 40 miles. That's what you have to do to train for these kind of things. And I loved it, being out in nature like that. It was a lot of, it was a lot of sacrifice. But see, here's the thing. I lived in a narrative where that made sense, a, 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 a story, I told myself, in which that kind of sacrifice made sense. We all live in a story. We all, whether we know it or not, we have a way of interpreting the world, a story we tell ourselves. And the story we tell ourselves, the mental narrative that we live in, it determines what we value and what we don't value. It determines what motivates us, what doesn't motivate us. Ultimately, and most importantly, it determines the direction that our character is going to take. What story are we telling ourselves? Well, I lived in a story where I put a lot of value on that feeling of floating. I put a lot of value on, on being able to finish first or second, or at least in the top 25. I put a lot of value on uh, being able to get a personal best. A lot of value on being able to trash myself and just push myself to the max. And in that story, it made sense to train the way I trained. I was willing to say no to a lot of things that I would like to say yes to, but I said no to those things because I wanted to say yes to something greater, and that something greater was me as the ultra runner. That's what all discipline is often about. A lot of times we don't notice this. In fact, usually we don't notice the stories that we're living in because they're too close to us. We're part of them. We, we've told the, we, we, we tell ourselves a story so much that it becomes our autopilot. Uh, and so we're not even aware that we're telling ourselves a story. We only maybe realize that we're telling ourselves a story uh, when we bump into somebody who has a different story. It's like, oh, that's a different way of looking at things. Or sometimes we don't notice that we're telling ourselves a story until the story stops working. And that's, what's, that's what happened to me. Um, I didn't know I had this story. A lot of times we don't know we have these stories until the end. But I lived in a story, apparently I found out, I lived in a story in which I wasn't supposed to age like everybody else. I, I lived in this story where I thought, I, I, I assumed that um, if I'm good to my body, my body will be good to me. That's how it's supposed to work, right? I thought aging was something of a meritocracy. Where if you just, you know, stay, stayed in there and kept on kept in shape, you wouldn't lose your ability to do things. And so I thought I would be that guy who's in the 80s and 90s and I'm still running marathons, you know. In fact, I thought I'd start setting age group records when I hit 80s and 90s because I'm not going to age like other people. <laughs> what a joke. Because I was so good at my body, right? I treated it way better all my life. I've, I've been a health fanatic. Surely you will pay me back or reward me with a healthy old age and setting age group records when I'm 80 and 90 years old. Oh, it didn't quite work that way, did it? I hit a wall. I hit a wall. I started hitting the wall. In the late 40s, I began to notice back pain and, and, and knee pain, so I have to back off my miles a little bit, and that already was discouraging because I wanted to be doing marathons, not 5Ks. 5Ks are for wussies. I would do ultra marathons. Now the idea of doing a 5K feels like an ultra marathon. See, the thing was, is in my arrogant, ignorant, hubris youth, I never factored in things. It didn't occur to me to factor in things that are outside of my control. You know, I, genes, for example. Uh, all the training in the world isn't going to spare you from arthritis, and osteoporosis, or, or compressed discs, or bulging discs, or a million other things that can go wrong and cause you to retire from running before you're 80. You never think of those as, like, I just thought, well, I'll just keep on staying in shape and I'll be able to do it when I'm 90 years old. It doesn't work like that. So in the late 40s, I get you know, knee pain and back pain. I got to back off my miles. But by the mid-50s, I got to quit running altogether. So I didn't take up race walking. 
Uh, it wasn't nearly as fun, and it looks ridiculous, but, but, but at least it scratched that competitive itch. I need the competition, something to drive me, the exercise. But I had 60, 61, and I couldn't do that anymore. And I had to come to this conclusion that my body is no longer competitive. I, I, this has been part of my identity my whole life. Uh, I, it's no longer competitive. I try to compete, and it breaks. Which means I'm no longer, I, I, I have to let go of that, that longing to have that floating feeling. I got to let go of trying to come in high in the standings and, 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 and trying to get a PR. I got to let go of thinking I can trash my body. Right now, walking the dog for an hour is trashing enough. Thank you very much. I had to let go of all that. I had to let go of that story. And see, I, so I, I, I lost that narrative. And when I lost the narrative, I lost my mojo. I don't live in a narrative now where it makes sense to exercise. So guess what? I don't. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have enough of a why. And um, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I still walk the dog, you know, for an hour, sometimes more in the morning. And, and I, I, I play drums a couple times a week and that work gets a sweat going. So I'm not a total lard, but I don't have any discipline. And I used to be so disciplined, even in areas where it really would be good for me to be disciplined. Like, you know, for my back stuff, I need to develop my core. And, and you got to do sit-ups and those and stilts and those exercises I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm not doing them. Because I don't want to. I don't want to. I just don't have the mojo. I know I should. In fact, if I'm honest with you, and I've always committed to be honest with you, but I realize, and I didn't do this consciously, but I realize I've been th throwing something of a temper tantrum for a couple of years now against my body. Like a little kid. I treat you so good all my life, and then this is the thanks I get? Thanks a lot. Gosh. You don't want to compete? Fine. We'll never exercise again. Fine. See if I care. You don't want to be healthy for me? You want to dish out pain towards me after I've been so good to you? Fine. Well, then I don't care. You can just turn out to be frosty, the snowman melting in the winter for all I care. Just let that body just go to pieces. And I'm going to eat all the pizza I want, all the ice cream I want. All the donuts I want, I'll smoke all the cigars I want. I don't care. I'm throwing a tantrum, temper tantrum. And I mean it too. Uh, I, I, I can hear someone out there saying, oh, but, but they'll probably write me tomorrow morning. Brother boy, don't you know that your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit? And that's reason enough to take care of it. Amen. It's in the true. I know that. But I'm mad at my temple. <laughs> It's been a bad temple. It's let me down. So I'm throwing a temper tantrum. And besides, temple talk never motivated me much. I'm sorry. I, I, I can't imagine. I mean, I, you know, yeah, I, I, I can see eating better because of your temple, but I can never imagine. Get down and give me 20 push-ups because your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. You, know, you don't do, do push-ups for the temple. Do you? I mean, you do that to develop your pecs and not to take care of the temple. I don't know. It just it doesn't motivate me the way the extremity of ultra running did. If you're visiting the church for the first time, maybe you're in that church shopping mode and, 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 and having a totally mature main speaker uh, who's mature in all things, if that's a high priority for you, I want to recommend the church down the street a little bit. They got a really holy preacher down there. Uh, you'll do really well. If you're looking for honesty, maybe you want to hang around here, but uh, uh, on this one, I backslid. So the bottom line, folks, is that I'm, I, I don't live in a narrative that motivates discipline in this area. And if I'm ever going to get back to exercising, I got to find a new narrative. 
and I'm working on that. Something that will really get me in the game again. But here's the thing. So all discipline, all discipline presupposes a particular story. All discipline is about saying no to something that would be desirable in the, in the short run, and you say no to it because you want to say yes to something that's desirable in the long run, a greater yes. All discipline is some form of delayed gratification. It all has the feel of like Jesus' teaching. If you lose your life, you'll find it. Give up this now, and you'll get something greater later on. That's, there's a reward in this. It's built in the nature of things. Engage in this, and there's a reward in it. That's how all discipline works. So I used to say no to staying in bed on Saturday morning, that nice, cozy, warm bed when it's 28 degrees outside, and I'd get up at 5 in the morning, go down to Afton State Park, and run for seven or eight hours because I wanted to say yes to that Greg who could float on the ground when he's running, that Greg who could finish high in the standings, that Greg who could get a PR and trash his body. I wanted to say yes to that. I love that. And so I had to say no to staying in bed. And that's how all discipline works. Take anybody who's achieved anything, and it's involved doing that. Anything that's worth anything requires some kind of discipline. If you try to be disciplined without a story, without the story that tells you why you should be disciplined, well then, what you end up with is a rule without any fuel. I said that last night and it came out just right, and so I they said, make sure you repeat that. It's a rule without, you've got a supposed to without a why. You've got a rule, but you have no motivation to do it. You're just supposed to do it. And I, I actually think that this is one of the main things that we, 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 we are up against as we're entering this series on, on spiritual practices. I, I think this is one of our challenges. I think spiritual disciplines, to some degree, feel to us like a rule without, a, without any fuel. I'm supposed to. Oh, we ought to be doing that. If I was a good Christian, I'd be doing that. But there just isn't like any, any driving vision for it. it doesn't, we're not motivated for it. And the reason we're not motivated is because we all, to some degree, inherit a secular story in which it doesn't make any sense to be motivated to try to do something just to build your character. Uh, we, 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 to some degree, inherited a secular story, a consumeristic story, which in many ways works directly against the muscle we need to develop if we're going to be involved in spiritual disciplines. It, it works against this idea of delayed gratification. The, the, the secular story that we have absorbed is that this life is it. And so you want to have your best life now. You want to experience the most that you can experience now. The secular story that we've all, to some degree, been influenced by is a story about experiencing life, not about becoming something. You don't find anybody today who's really just sort of intentional on working on their character and, and, and involved in disciplines just because they want to have a better character. In the ancient world, it was assumed that you do that. It, it, before Christ came, with Aristotle, becoming virtuous was the most important thing. And so there's disciplines you evo- are involved in to become virtuous. We talked about that with our, our, our spiritual friendships. But we've lost that. And so now it's all about instant gratification. In fact, I think we, we, we're in a culture, here in the West anyways, uh, where we increasingly worship at the altar of, of, of instant gratification. Everything's got to be instant. Uh, you know, you, you, you do a Google search, and, and it takes 10 seconds, 20 seconds, maybe even 30 seconds. And it's like it feels like it's taking forever. Why is the internet so slow? 30 seconds. You see it watching that thing just go round and round and round and round and round. Now forget the fact that maybe it did take 30 seconds, but in that 30 seconds, you acquired more information at your fingertips than you would have had, could have gotten in 30 days two decades ago. Forget about that. We're just upset because it's taking 30 seconds. We want everything instant. We want it now. We want to have a, 
Speed sells things. You know, they, they, they sell it. Increasingly, you see the advertisements. We'll get you faster. You know, we, the, the 5G is faster than 4G. Mobile and Verizon is faster than this or that, the other thing. Amazon's going to have same day, even a couple hour delivery. Now they're talking about having drones that can just fly right out to you the minute you order it. No, no, no. We want it right now. That's why we buy so much on credit. I want it now. I'll pay for it later. That's why right now they, everyone's got their undies up in a bundle because of this port jam. You know, they, they, these ports are jammed up all over the place because of COVID and lack of drivers and blah, blah, blah. And it's just bringing the world to a halt. And Christmas is coming and people are really getting nervous. Are we going to be able to have you know, our Christmas presents here on time? And there's all these stories about all the inconveniences. There's a story I saw the other day where this couple had just bought a new home. This nice new home in, in, in uh, uh, New Mexico. And, 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 and they ordered this new tile from Italy, this special kind of tile to come in and have it under their, their kitchen. And, and it's just wonderful. But because of the port, they're not going to be able to get their tile for like three or four, maybe not even five months. There is no God. Well, the problem be with the stairwell. These poor rich people are not going to have a towel right now. We, we really live in a culture where the, the working assumption is I, I have a, I, I'm entitled to, to get what I want and get it when I want it, and I want it now. And this was now this Alexa thing. I know a guy who's got his whole apartment is Alexa run. And, and it's, you don't have to do anything anymore. Alexa. Just ask Alexa to do it. Turn on the lights, turn off the lights, turn on the television, turn to the station. Uh, make the lights a little dimmer. Put on a, a blue hue, a little purple hue now. Uh, raise the room temperature. You know, it's, it's just boom, 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 boom. Don't forget, it's not, it won't be too long. I'm, not, I'm serious that we're, we're pe- kids will be talking to each other saying, remember back in the olden days when people had to get off the couch? Oh, that would have been terrible. <laughs> oh, the work involved in that. So we live in a secular story. We want to have our best life now. And, we, and the, the idea of, of delaying gratification, saying no to something just so you can become a better person, it doesn't fit in that story. And so it, it, just, it strikes us as kind of odd. The secular story is about experiencing life, not about becoming something in life. Now, by contrast, from a biblical perspective and from in traditional cultures up until fairly recently, it was understood that the purpose of life isn't just about experiencing things. The purpose of life is about becoming something, about developing a certain kind of character. And that was considered the most important thing in life. And that's certainly the case from a biblical perspective. Look at what Paul says here about, he's talking about discipline, spiritual discipline. And contrast this with the secular story that we've inherited. He says, don't you realize that in a race everybody runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. <clears throat> All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. And so I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. He's saying, this is the real deal. This is, this is for real, folks. This isn't a run through. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Okay, so the point of this passage, let me say at the start, is it's, it's not about competition. It's about intentionality. It's about passion. Okay, so Paul isn't saying uh, only one person can get to heaven, everyone else is going to go to hell. <laughs> Make sure you do that one person. No, he's saying run to win when he says that. He, he's not saying run to beat others. He's saying run with this intentionality. Get, put your all into it. Give it your everything. And um, he says that our mindset should be that of an athlete. If you, if you just imagine right now an athlete in training. 
an, an Olympic athlete. And think of the hours that they put into training and the, the work they put in, the pain that they put in, in order to become this athlete who can compete at this level, who can possibly win. Um, imagine that. Paul is saying this should be the mindset. We should be as intentional about our discipleship, our character formation, as an athlete who is training for the Olympics. If that sounds like an exaggeration, it's because we're influenced by a secular story that tells us that nothing could be more irrelevant than the kind of character you, 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 you develop. But Paul is saying this is the kind of, it's this important. In fact, we should be more passionate, if anything, more intentional about our character development than an athlete because they're doing it for a temporary reward. They want the gold, the silver, the bronze medal. Or they want the buzz of being able to run and having a floating feeling. Whatever the reward is, they're getting it when they, when, when they get it. But we're doing it for something that's going to make an eternal difference. And so, so in the short life that we have, he's saying be very intentional about the kind of character that you form, the kind of practices that you engage in, in order to win the prize. And so what is Paul sacrificing for? Uh, what, what, is the, what is the why to his story? What, what is it that motivates him to be this intentional, this passionate? And what should motivate us to be this passionate about discipleship? Ultimately, I, I, what motivated Paul was just the whole gospel. The, the whole story about God, the God who became a human being and died for us uh, to, to liberate us and the whole creation from the powers of evil. And, and, and that motivated him. Okay? He's a part of that story. But I want to point out, I want to close by pointing out one aspect of this gospel story that I'm sure motivated Paul and, and I'm sure should motivate each one of us. It comes from 1 John, and uh, chapter 3. Beautiful passage I love so much. Here's what he says. He says, See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God. And we're called that, because that is what we are. We are the children of God. And the reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him, Jesus. Beloved, we are God's children now. He has to say it again. He repeats himself. But what we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he, when Christ is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Okay, so because of God's love, we are called the children of God. God's love has made us children of God. And he calls us children of God because we are children of God. He repeats that twice. Now he repeats it twice because he's really saying this. We are children of God, really. But he has to say really because sometimes we don't think like we're children of God and we don't feel like we're children of God and we don't act like we're children of God. But we are children of God. In fact, we're so far from fully manifesting what it is to be a child of God that we can't even right now conceive of what that will look like. It hasn't yet been revealed what we will be, how it will look like when we are fully manifested as children of God. You can't imagine it. Which means when you try to imagine it, which we all should try to do, uh, that's the goal that we're, 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 we're shooting for, but imagine it as good as possible and just know that it's much better than that because it hasn't yet been revealed. You can't comprehend it. So just keep on going in that direction. We are the children of God, but we don't yet, we don't always look like it, act like it. We've got all sorts of wounds and sins and lies that conceal that identity. And see, then he says, but we do know this. There's one thing we do know, that is that when this whole show is wrapped up, when it's all said and done, when the story is complete, we're going to see him as he is because we're going to be like him. I love this. What's operating here is an, it's a piece of ancient wisdom. It's, uh, it's 
often called, like is known by like and only known by like. Like is known by like. What it means is this. Uh, you can only empathize, you can only empathetically understand somebody to the degree that you share their character. Uh, you can only understand and appreciate someone's love to the degree that you yourself have cultivated a loving character. Um, a corrupt person can never understand a virtuous person. They've got nothing in their experience by which to understand that. So they'll always suspect the virtuous person of being corrupt like they are. We always project ourselves onto others. Uh, like is known by like. So right now, we don't see Christ exactly as he is. Uh, the, the sin in our life, the lies that we believe, the wounds that we've received, all of that jaundice is the way that we look at God, think about God, the way we think about ourselves. That's why Paul says we see through a glass darkly, a mirror darkly. It, it, it's dim. But the promise of God, the promise of God, and it is the promise right here, is that some, it won't always be like this. Someday, 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 we'll see him exactly as he is in all of his beauty, in all of his glory, because we shall be like him. Someday our hearts will be totally aligned with his heart and our mind will be totally aligned with his mind and our character totally aligned with his character. Someday we'll be perfectly compatible with the character of Jesus Christ, which is the character of the, 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 the triune God. And that's how we get invited in on the dance of the triune God. So someday everything that blinds us and wounds us and all the regrets that discourage us, uh, all the fears that paralyze us, they'll all be gone someday. All the, all, the, all the wounds that have pained us, the, the selfish nature that we have had in our fallen nature, everything that's ever caused us pain will be gone. And in that day, then we'll be able to see clearly and, 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 and his heart will be our heart, hallelujah. And his joy will be our joy and his peace will be our peace. Uh, and, and his relationship with the Father and Spirit will be our relationship with the Father and Spirit because we will be in him. And, and this is God's goal for everybody. Ultimately, the, the end game is for have every individual individually and in all humanity collectively, dancing with the triune God, sharing in the love and the joy and the bliss of the triune God. God has come and taken on our nature so that we could then participate in his nature, 1 Peter 1.4. We participate in the love and the joy of the triune God. Why? Because we're compatible. We're compatible. And the whole thing that God's up to now, the whole process of becoming a man, dying on the cross, all of that, the whole shebang is about rendering us, freeing us from everything that held us in bondage, by grace, just making us his children, and then by grace and the power of his spirit, transforming us into the likeness of Christ, where we develop his character so that now we can dance with the triune God. Nothing unclean will enter the kingdom, it says. Uh, everything's got to be refined, purified, before it, 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 it enters into the kingdom, before we enter into that dance. And that's why John says, everybody who has this hope, they purify themselves as he is pure. The idea is, okay, here's who you truly are. Here's what you're going to look like when, when, when this process is done. So start being involved in the process. The end game is to be pure as he is pure. Start purifying yourselves now. Notice that John doesn't say, hey, since you're already children of God, guess what? You can sit on your butts and God will do it for you. Doesn't do that. Yeah, just sit around. God will just magically transform you with his magic wand. I think a lot of people assume that that's the case. I, I, I think a lot of folks, especially the Protestant tradition, they assume that the minute you die, you're perfected. A magic wand, and all of a sudden now you have a perfect character. Um, and see, that, that, that teaching, uh, which first came around through Calvin and, and, and Martin Luther, the Protestant Reformation, uh, it had this effect. People think, well, look, it, if I'm going to be perfected the minute I die anyways, 
then why be involved in the hard stuff of spiritual practices and discipleship and sanctification and saying no to stuff that you want to say yes to? Heck, if I'm going to get it for free later on, I'll just wait for that. And so sanctification becomes this optional thing. Yeah, it'd be nice if you did it, but, you know, not too much change in the balance because you're going to be magically transformed into perfection the minute you, are, 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 the minute you die. We don't know much about the afterlife. I, I think we know a lot less than people think we know. But, but I, I think I know enough to know that there's something wrong with that thinking right there. Okay, there's something fundamentally... Because look, if God could magically transform us and have a perfect character, why hasn't he done it already? I would like that for one. Like, boom, just, I believe in Jesus, boom. Okay, you get the perfection. Uh, the fact that he hasn't done it yet tells me that that's not the way that, 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 that's supposed to work. If, if we're going to be magically transformed the minute we die, then why is Paul so intense on, 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 on us being training like athletes, being disciplined? Why is John saying you've got to purify yourself? Why doesn't he just say, wait around and, and, and God will do it for you? It seems to me that we play an indispensable role in this transforming process. Because see, here's the thing. God doesn't want a people that he can magically transform to look perfect. Uh, he doesn't want a bunch of automatons. He just... No, there's no, he wants the people who freely choose him, who freely choose to yield to him. And so we have to play a role in this process. Uh, he wants a bride who has authority, who's going to sit on the throne with him. Uh, and that's a bride who doesn't need to have everything done for her. He wants a bride who takes back what the enemy stole, and part of what the enemy stole was us, and our minds, and our hearts, and truth. And so God wants to work with us to take back what the enemy stole. We can't do it without the Holy Spirit but it's also true that the Holy Spirit's not going to do it for you. There's a role we play. We're, we're partners in this whole thing. And I think that's, that's absolutely indispensable. God wants a bride who most importantly reflects the character of Abba Father. A bride who knows the, how to love sacrificially, how to pour herself out for others, how to serve others. Uh, and that's something, developing that character is something you have to do over time. You have to do it with choices. It can't be magically given to you. If, if, if a character was magically given to you, it wouldn't be your character. It'd be like no more significant than the, what color hair was given to you or how tall are you or whatever. There'd be nothing virtuous about it. No, by God's grace, we're to be participating. So I think every one of us has got to go through this process. There's no shortcut. We're not earning anything. We're not going to be involved in spiritual disciplines to become children of God. Like, oh, I hope we're going to make it. No, but be, be, precisely because we are children of God, this is who we truly are, this is our nature, well, because of that, we've got to get our thinking to line up with this, and now our feeling to line up with this, and our behaving to line up with this, and ultimately our character to line up with this, so that now we will, as children of God, be able to dance in the love of the triune God. We'll see him exactly as he is, for we shall be like him. There's no shortcut to that. And as I, as I, as I read Scripture... I'll just say this, I can't get into this right now, but whatever processes aren't complete in this life, I think get completed in the next one. Uh, we're going to go through this process one way or the other. And as I read Scripture, it's to our great advantage to do, do so now. Paul talks about a refining fire that we're all going to be tried with. It's the judgment seat of Christ. And we will be refined one way or another. We've got to go through this, and, and, and uh, we play a role in this. But it's uh, to our advantage... To play a role quickly, to yield now. Jesus says in one point in Matthew 5, we, we looked at it earlier, that he says, make peace with your brother while you're on the way. Because if he takes you to court, you might get thrown into prison, and you won't get out until you pay the last penny. Well, you will get out, but it's going to be harder then, so do it now. So like an athlete in training, our job 
is to be disciplined. And I'm I'll the first one to stand up here and tell you, if, if, this, if this message is convicting you, good, because it's convicting the heck out of me. It is. And, 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 and that's our, our, our character is our main project. That's the main project. That's the main thing going on right now. God's happy that you believe all the right things, but that does no good unless it's translating into our developing in a Christ-like direction. So I, I, let me just end with this. Um, here's a, a little spiritual discipline I encourage you to, be, to engage in uh, uh, on a regular basis. Close your eyes if it helps. And I want to ask the Holy Spirit here to help each one of us, whether you're uh, part of the pod congregation or the congregation. See, what do you look like when you see Christ as he is because you're like him? What, what do you look like? And Lord, Holy Spirit, just give us a representation. What do you look like when you're totally free of all the crap that you carry around right now? What do you look like when the anxiety and fear is gone? What do you look like when you're all together lovely and the scars are gone, the habits are removed, the lies have been chased away by truth? What do you look like? Get a picture of this. You share in the glory and the love and the joy and the peace of Jesus Christ himself. You can see him as he is because you're just like him. Get a picture of that. And now ask yourself this question. And Holy Spirit, give us wisdom on this. What are some first steps that you can take to start inching in that direction? What can you let go of? What won't be there that is present here now, can you get rid of it now? What will be present there that isn't present now, can you make it present now? Can you start to cultivate that? What steps can you take to move in the direction of complete and total Christ-likeness? Holy Spirit, give us wisdom about this. Don't get discouraged, because it's a marathon. You may, be, you may be a long ways from that picture. Keep that picture in mind. See, that's, that's what having faith is. Have that vision. This is the story that we need to be telling ourselves. We are going to be like this. This is the story, and this is how the story ends, and so this is how the story can motivate us. Here's who we shall be. Here's who we must become. All who have this hope purify themselves as he is pure. What's the first steps in purification that the Holy Spirit would have you take? Lord, give us wisdom about this and remind us about this. Help us to live in this story. Have it on our minds throughout the day. Free us from the, the, the bondage of the secular story that we all instinctively breathe in as part of just being part of this culture. But purge it from our minds, Lord, that we can live according to truth and our mind can be aligned with truth and our hearts aligned with truth. That, our, that The ship is heading in a Christ-like direction. Help us to keep steering in that way and help us to help one another steer in this direction. Help us to find friends who will help us Go in this direction. Spiritual friends who will be on this, this journey with us. We are a people who individually and collectively aspire to love like you love. We're learning to love together. Learning how to be Christ-like together. Continue this process in us. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Uh, a few announcements. Uh, if you're going to be here next week, please let us know so we can have space for your kiddos. Um, we have uh, prayer available if you uh, online and up here at the front of the auditorium if you could use prayer. I encourage you to check out the Musecast on Tuesdays at 4 o'clock.
And then we have our gathering groups, and we encourage folks to get into gathering groups, meet some other people, and uh, go deeper with the sermon that way. God bless you guys. Love you. Let's keep on running that race. Amen? Run like you want to win, because that's what winning looks like. Conformity to Jesus Christ. See you next week. God bless.